Thanks, Emma. You know, it's, it's cool to come up here on a weekend where both Kansas teams have won. That's great. Um, I couldn't believe it when I woke up this morning and found out that KU beat Texas. That was crazy. Um, glad to see that K-State beat West Virginia. And K-State, I think, is like on a five-game win streak, so that's exciting that they're, turn they're kind of finishing strong. So um, I don't know what we can say about KU, but other than the fact that they beat Texas, um, and they have two wins now. So very encouraging. So, well, hey, I want to start out by just recapping last Sunday. I think Jonathan did a great job, and we finished Acts 23, and we're going to head into Acts 24 this morning. And I think Pat, Pastor Jonathan last week left us with a lot to think about. Um, and I hope, I hope that this week you've taken the time to, this week to process things, to confront maybe some things in small groups and with other believers. And some of the current issues that Pastor Jonathan mentioned were the porn lifestyle and culture, abortion, gender reassignment, racism disguised as anti-racism, informed consent versus mandates, censorship of information disguised as preventing misinformation, silence about and shaming of therapeutic treatments, and total disregard for natural immunity. Sounds like an intense Sunday, huh? <laughs> that was quite a message last week, Jonathan. Um, obviously, uh, talking about all those topics. So I hope, like again, I, I hope that you had a chance to talk to some people about some of those things. It's important that we understand that, that having a, have, we should have a kingdom worldview on these things. It's, it's also, if you're unclear or confused or mad that Pastor Jonathan brought all of these issues up, you need to get that resolved, and you can't let that thing simmer and remain un unresolved. I think that's important, and sometimes I always say, hey, if you're feeling like after a message or after you talk, to, man, go talk to them. Like, don't just sit there and simmer all week, and go talk to them. Um, but it's interesting, when we become a follower of Jesus, the Bible says that we're a new creation. But that doesn't mean that we have a clear understanding on or take on how the Bible views things, right? You, hey, I'm a new creation, but all of a sudden, like, I'm, all, I'm supposed to know everything the Bible, how the Bible, what the Bible says about things, or having a kingdom worldview. That's just not the way it is. Um, we have to learn, dig in, educate ourselves. And sometimes, you know, I, I hear comments all the time, like, why does the church have to get involved in political things? Isn't the church supposed to speak? I think it's like, isn't the church supposed to speak on the issues of our time? Aren't believers supposed to be educated and ready to communicate the, on the issues of the day? You know, kind of the thinking of the verses like, be the light of the world, you know, have better thinking. And even when, and many, and for all these many centuries, even when the Bible's view is contrary to the prevailing worldviewer thinking. And that, that's when it gets really hard and gets difficult, and Christians have been persecuted for centuries because of these things. The church's motivation isn't political. Its job is to help believers to be kingdom-focused. And some of the most important issues facing us today happen to fall in the political realm. It's the way it is. And if we ignore those issues just because they're political, then we're neglecting and ignoring the issues that are affecting our day-to-day -day lives. And that is not how God wants us to live. God cares about everything. Okay, it's not just, hey, I'm going to be this way at school, this way at work, this way with my church friends, this way. No. God wants to be in charge of everything. Um, you know, 
so God cares about everything, politicized or not, and as a follower of Jesus, Jesus should be in the center of our lives. He, want, he, has, to, he has a say in everything. Nothing's off limits. An old, an old pastor friend of mine used to say, Lord of all or not, of all, not at all? Lord of all or not at all? 19th century novelist Elizabeth Charles, and Pastor Jonathan used this quote last week, and I just want to reiterate it because I think it's such an important quote as we're recapping here. If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that little point that the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. And I think that quote is very profound. And, and such an important thing as we think about in these times we live, how we have to understand the times and we have to know that there's issues that are at hand and the Bible has something to say about these things. Um, all right, well, that was a long intro. Um, very long intro. All right, so we finished Acts 23. We might remember that we had a plot to kill Paul that was unveiled to the commander. The commander secretly transfers Paul to, C- to Caesarea to go to trial before the Roman governor, Felix, who's going to be one of our main characters today that we're going to talk about. And Felix then invites Paul's accusers to Caesarea, not to Jerusalem for this big hearing. So me as a, a former lawyer, I like these kind of things. It's great. You get to finally hear the arguments that are going to be placed here. And we've heard them already in previous chapters, but we're going to hear more now. So in Acts 24, verse 1 through 4, five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullius. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullius presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of, and I think you need to hear what Tertullius is saying here. Let's listen to these words here. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and every way, and most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. It's interesting how Tertullius handles Felix. Felix, the Roman governor, has been oppressing the Jews. Let let me see what he says. Your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. We've had a long period of peace under you. Most excellent, man, we're so grateful for all that persecution. Thank you. Thank you so much, Felix. He's basically giving him all this flattery, right? He's kissing his, you know what, right? I mean, you know, look, this is what's happening here. Tertullius is setting it up and just basically saying, hey, Felix, man, you're the man, whatever, flattering him. You know, I had a guy that flattered me once, and I didn't really appreciate it. Ended up, the guy, yeah, anyways, we don't need to go into that story. Sorry, I just went off. I saw a bird. Um, all right, let's go back to the, the, the Bible. It's a good thing. Acts 24, 5 through 10. We have found this man. Here's Tertullius starting up. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. All right. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation. So I gladly make my defense. 
No fluff, no flattery, just the facts. Man, you've been a judge. All right, cool. All right, I'm going to go, I'm going to give you my spiel now. So I'm going to read this long little area here, this rest of this chapter. I'm going to get us to the end, and then we're going to talk about it. But I just want to, the rest of it's the trial and, and some minor things at the end. So it says, verse 11 through 27, You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you that the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way. The way is kind of what they called Jesus' followers, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. He continues, After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state that what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am trial before you today. We'll get to verse 22. And here's where I want you to start really focus in here. Then Felix, who is well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. So he's like, okay, I'm going to wait. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Okay, that's cool. Thanks. Great. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. It says in the, the, when I did some research on Drusilla and, and, and Felix, this was his, I think, third wife. Um, and Drusilla is 19 years old, is what the historians tell us, tell us. And she grew up in a, she was, I think, one of the people that was persecuting the Jews, King Agrippa. That was his, I think, is his daughter or related somehow. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius or Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Okay, so we're at the end of Acts 24. Okay, that's it. 27 verses, basically giving a little bit of what happened in their trial. As you can see, Felix is not concerned about justice, okay, but his own self-interest. He has to protect Paul from being unjustly punished because he is a Roman citizen. Paul's a Roman citizen. And word cannot get out that Felix sided with the Jews against a Roman citizen. That's just not, can't happen, okay? Meanwhile, he's also okay with taking bribes. He's like bringing Paul in all the time to see, hey, man, see if I can get a bribe here. But for we don't, there's nothing that says that Paul ever gives him a bribe. And ultimately, Felix leaves Paul in prison as a favor to the Jews. And to me, it's, it really seems like Felix is playing all sides. 
like the term politician describes him well, right? I mean, it's like, hey, man, I want to take care here of the Jews on this side. Hey, Paul and the, you know, the Romans, I got I to gotta take, take care of everybody here. But for the rest of our time this morning, I want to focus on verse 24 and 25. And I want to read it again. Just, let's look at it. It says, several days later, so this is after Paul's been put in prison with a lot of freedom. He says, or the barracks, he says, later Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. So we know that Felix knows a lot about the Jewish religion. It says in verse 22 that he is well acquainted with the way and the followers of Jesus Christ because his wife is Jewish. Although Felix knows about Judaism and the way, we also know that he and his wife are probably not followers of God. Okay, they're not followers. And right in the middle of Paul's testimony and teaching, Felix stops him. It says he was afraid. What was Paul saying that made him so fearful? What was Paul saying that made him afraid? Acts 24, 25 tells us Paul preached to Felix and Drusilla about three things. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. That made him afraid? What, 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 what? Okay. You know, it's interesting. Those three topics, very important topics in the Bible. It seems like Paul was unlike modern preachers who would give anything to appear before modern political leaders, right? Many times they take these opportunities to speak flattering words, maybe to those leaders who summon them, you know, kind of kiss them, you know what. But Paul had no interest in flattering Felix and Drusilla. Led by the Holy Spirit and knowing that God had called him to be a witness of Christ before the Jews, Gentiles, kings, governors, Paul chooses righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Like, that's like real meat and potatoes of the Bible. Like, he chooses to speak about those three things, real meat and potatoes of the Bible. So let's go in, let's just talk about each of these three things briefly. Paul first speaks about righteousness. And, you know, I envision when I'm, when I'm kind of thinking through this, just thinking, okay, Felix and Drusilla probably just had a fantastic dinner. You know, maybe they had a couple glasses of wine or some other beverage and they're just sitting there and they're like, hey, what can we do tonight? Oh man, let's call Paul. Like, let's go hang out with Paul and see what he has to say, man. Let's listen to this guy. He's kind of an interesting guy that people say he's interesting to listen to. Great. Let's go do that. Okay. They've had their, maybe they've had their dessert as well. Maybe some chocolate mousse, you know, whatever they ate back then, right, for dessert, but some figs. So, (laughs) all right, so he probably said, hey, Felix and Drusilla, man, he probably told him about how you violated maybe God's law, the Ten Commandments, how all men are evil and practice evil, man, dinner's not sitting well right now, right? He's just like, man, you're telling me that all men and women practice evil, that all, all men are evil. You know, we can get a good idea what he said from what he wrote in his epistle in Romans, right? He, he's, he's probably done this already in Corinth or whatever. He had written, he'd gone through this already. So now he's just doing it again for Felix and Drusilla. So in Romans 3.23, Paul writes, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Man, I'm Felix. My 
food's not sitting right, right? Romans 3, 10, and 11, he writes, There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Romans 3, 12, he wrote, There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3, 18, There's no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 1, 18, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Man, bring the heat, right? I mean, he is bringing heat right to Felix and Drusilla after they've probably had a nice dinner, nice dessert, some wine. They're feeling a little bit uncomfortable is my guess, right? Well, then let's, he transitions and he goes to self-control. Let's talk about self-control. He's probably like, you know, Felix and Drusilla, it's probably pretty hard for you guys to control your lusts and passions, especially your sexual passion. You're powerful people in the eyes in the eyes of the world, but you know very well how weak you are when it comes to resisting temptation. It's well known that you indulge in every form of perversion because of your moral corruption and weakness. But I bet, you know, after he said all those rough things, I bet he tempered it a little bit with words of hope, saying, Felix and Drusilla, I have more good news for you. This time it's actually really good news. In Jesus Christ, there's great hope for even the most morally bankrupt person. There's great hope for each and every one of us. Jesus will not only justify you through faith, but he's also, to, he's also able to make you holy and help you resist every temptation. In other words, he will not only give you a new nature, but he will give you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, to educate you, and to empower you to do that which is pleasing in the sight of God. Man, Paul is really giving it to him. I mean, this is really great. Then, by the way, I'm just imagining what this would have looked like as he's talking about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. This is not like, you know, was written in the Bible or something. I'm just giving you, hey, he's done this in Romans. He's already laid this out of these topics, and I'm just kind of translating them, okay? Then Paul closes with the judgment of God. He goes, man, Felix and Drusilla, Drusilla, I have presented you the good news as the only way of salvation. Jesus Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And through him, you can be justified and sanctified. If you accept and believe, he is faithful and just to forgive you your evil, and save you. Man, powerful stuff. You guys, Felix and Drusilla, you are powerful people, but even you will have to stand before Christ at the coming judgment. Felix and Drusilla, one day, your judge, Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead and is now the supreme Lord of the universe, your Lord and your Caesar's Lord and my Lord, shall summon you and you shall appear before him. Unless you have trusted in him, you shall be found, be found wanting. After all this, Felix is afraid. He's unsettled. He's shaken. He's having indigestion. It's, it's, man, things are, not, things are not good. In fact, in the Greek, the phrase used when it says that he was afraid, the phrase used was, ephimo, I don't know how to say it, emophobos genonomos, frightened or terrified. And I think about that, I think of terrified. Wow, what in that? Man, so righteousness, 
self-control, the judgment to come, terrified him. What? Wow. The only other time this term is used is when a supernatural force is in operation in the Bible. When this term, mephobos genonomos, it's when a supernatural force is in operation. It's almost like the Holy Spirit gave Felix a flash of confronting of who God was. A vision, maybe, of the judge, Lord Jesus Christ. Almost like the Damascus Road moment when Paul was on the road and God spoke to Paul. Something, maybe, something was shown to Felix that it terrified him. You know, when Felix saw himself as a sinner facing judgment, that was it, man. He was afraid. He's like, man, I got to get this guy out of here. Truth is hitting too close to home. It's convicting me. It looks like he couldn't handle the truth. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie A Few Good Men. One of my favorite lines, Jack Nicholson is on the stand. Tom Cruise is, is just going after him. The judge is saying, you're in contempt. Tom Cruise just keeps going. And finally, Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth because you need men like me on that wall. And he kind of goes on and on. That's a great, a great scene. But in many ways here, Felix can't handle the truth. He wanted to keep living the way he was living. Behaving in ignorance is one thing, but behaving with knowledge is another. He was living in ignorance, and now he had knowledge of a living God. So Felix shuts everything down, and he leaves Paul, and he says, when I find this convenient, I'll call for you. When, I'm, when it's convenient, I'll call for you. You know, I think many of us are kind of like Felix and Drusilla. I know I am in times, you know, we, we choose to serve ourselves. You know, we hear the truth, and in many cases, we know the truth. It unsettles us. It shakes us. But we ignore it. We ignore the shaking. We ignore and just like, man, just let me avoid this. Hey, let me stop. Stop. Stop talking. Stop. I don't want to hear this anymore. And we just try to get it out of our mind. We avoid it. We shut it down. It's not convenient. I remember when the guy that was really teaching me about how to follow Jesus, he said something to me that the Bible said and that I wasn't living that out. And I didn't talk to him for three days. I just like, I'm out. I don't even want to talk to you anymore. (laughs) Like, leave me alone. Because I was just, man, it was too hard. It was too hard to confront that at that time. It's not convenient. You know, it, it when we hear the truth, sometimes we are sitting there counting the costs. It may cost us friendships. It may cost us money. It may cost us time, our personal comfort. It may create conflict. It may cause us not to get a degree, possibly. I kind of think of it like almost like it's like flying an airplane, you know, and you're confronted with that warning light. It's like, should you switch the warning light off and ignore the problem, which so many times we do? We like switch that light off. Hey, I'm going to ignore it now. Forget it. If you do that in a plane, that's probably a pretty terrible thing, right? I mean, that's not a good thing. We do not want to be doing that. Or suppose we're driving our car and the light comes on your dashboard indicating that you have no oil. Should you ignore the light and keep driving? Of course not. Of course we wouldn't do that. 
You must deal with the problem if you want to keep your car operating. And we have to do the same thing. We got we to gotta say, man, this really, I'm not living this way. The Bible says we need to live, live this way, or I need to, I'm looking at this issue this way. The Bible says I need to look at this issue this way. Okay, I can either ignore it, ignore the warning light, ignore what the Bible says, or I can be like, man, I need to do what the Bible says and go that way. God wants us to respond when he's shaking us, unsettling us. He wants us to respond by choosing him. He wants us to serve him. He wants us to go all in and forego all others. He doesn't want us to ignore that warning light that he gives us. You know, as I close, I just want us to ask, ask you today, are you going to choose what's convenient and avoid the truth? You've got to decide. Are you going to choose what's convenient or are you going to... Are, and avoid the truth. The truth of the good news, of going all in, making Jesus the Lord of all, or are you going to choose to serve Jesus, the King of Kings? You know, even all of us, the, those of us that have believed in Jesus and said, I'm, I'm in, I want to follow Jesus, we still have to choose to serve him every day. We got to choose like, oh man, I got this new revelation. The Bible said this. I never saw this before. I'm living like this. Contrary to that, man, I need to make an adjustment. Oh, but it's painful. It's going to, oh, it's going to cost me money. I already invested in this. I can't do that. Too bad. We got to do it. We got to not ignore the warning light. You know, I've sat in church plenty of times knowing I need to give something to God, but it was just too convenient and comfortable to do so. It's like, no, I can't do that, God. It's so hard, so painful. But this morning, I just pray that God would unsettle and shake you a little bit and say, like, where's an area that I need to, like, get unsettled about and see what God's saying? Maybe it's one of those areas that Jonathan talked about last week. It's like, oh, man, I have, what what does God say about this issue? I don't even know. Okay, well, try to figure it out. Talk to somebody who may know. Well, let me pray, and we'll, do, and we'll uh, <clears throat> yeah, let me pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to come, Father God, and be here. Hear your word, Lord. Thank you for what you tried to speak to us in Acts 24. Father, I just pray that we would know that we, want, that we would get a, in our heart to serve you, Lord God, not serve ourselves, but to serve you, that when the warning light comes on, that we would not ignore it, that we would hear from you, and act, and change, and turn, and repent from ways that we were living. Lord, help us to gain new thinking, new understanding, to renew our minds, Father God, to understand where you want to take us, Lord God. Help us to grow in our following of you, Lord God. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. You know,